Hello there and welcome to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Adrian Barnard in the UK and by Stuart Weir and by Tom Ellis in Rio de Janeiro along with the rest of our team there. Well, the 2016 Olympics are underway and we find out what the atmosphere is like in Rio. I just want to have fun. I want to, have, I want to meet people from all over the world. I want to uh, speak with them. Also, it's just a week to go to the start of the English Premier League season. We catch up on the big transfers involving African players. In recent seasons, Liverpool have, have struggled to find a consistent goal scorer and that's what they hope Mane will provide. And also Stuart continues his series looking at the life of former FIFA president Sepp Blatter. So the 2016 Rio Olympics are here. The men's and women's football tournaments kicked off ahead of the opening ceremony and the action will be non-stop until the 21st of August. The Olympics are called the greatest show on earth and winning Olympic gold is the dream of most sports people. Well, we have a team in Rio following the action and giving us an idea of what it's like to be there as competitors, officials and fans from all around the world have made their way to Brazil. Well, Solomon and I were in Rio for the 2014 FIFA World Cup together with Tom Ellis and Andy Bloss. And Tom and Andy have returned. They are our special reporters for Planet Sport Football Africa. They give us a taste of the atmosphere in Rio. <laughs> Sun, sea, samba, beach volleyball and a beautiful backdrop. We're back on Copacabana Beach, the world-famous Copacabana Beach here in Rio de Janeiro for the Olympic Games. And we're just standing by the beach volleyball arena, which is a temporary structure. There's actually like a mound of sand that's been built around it and around the kind of media centre here as well because we've just been hearing that last weekend uh, there were some sort of freak waves. You don't get huge waves here on Copacabana Beach but some freak waves of about four foot came in and came right up to the, to the media centre on the beach here. Um, so I'm guessing those mounds of sand are there to, to form a bit of protection. It's winter, so it's around 22, 25 degrees, and there's a bit of a breeze and a bit of cloud as well. This is where some of the sporting action will be taking place. Uh, at the Fort Copacabana, at the end of the beach, is where the marathon swimming will be taking place. Uh, as I mentioned, the beach volleyball and also the road race cycling will take place along the seafront as well. I'm here stood on the sand with Andy Bloss, who is here with us for the 2014 World Cup. Andy, uh, what are your first impressions on being back? How different is it? And what's the feeling ahead of the Games? Um, Tom, firstly, it's great to be back. Uh, amazing to be here in Rio de Janeiro once again. Um, just so excited. Greeted here with sunshine, as you'd expect. A bit cloudy now, a bit chilly, but I'm so excited. Um, speaking to people on the beachfront today, you get that sense of excitement. And listen, over the next couple of weeks, it's going to be fascinating for us to see the differing uh, views, the people who are excited, people who've got uh, you know, grievances to bear. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to show that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, very excited, and hopefully it'll be a fantastic Games. Here are some of the sports fans, volunteers and locals who we spoke to earlier along Copacabana Beach. My name is Caio de Souza. I'm from Dallas, Texas. Um, I was actually born and raised here in Brazil, uh, Sao Paulo to be exact. Uh, but I've lived in the United States for close to 20 years now. But I come back all the time to visit family, friends and of course see the Olympic Games. Well, I'm a follower of the Olympic Games. So this is my uh, 15th. I've been going since Rome, 1960. 
Wow, and, and how has it changed since then? Modern progress is not all for the better. <laughs> we are volunteers. I'm at the Maracana Stadium. And I will work at the Barra part there with the swimming team. I just want to have fun. I want to have. I want to meet people from all over the world. I want to uh, speak with them, make new friendships, yes. It could be an interesting opportunity to bring infrastructure, but the whole process wasn't very, I don't know, democratic or discussed with the population, so I feel like we miss an opportunity to do something with all this attention. It could be a better opportunity for the city than it was. I'm the I'm the looking for the football and the volley and the beach and my 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 passion and the volley the beach volley the beach. It's my fourth time here so I really love the city. It's like a big city but the people are very nice, they're friendly. Yeah I love the Copacabana. It's an amazing beach so yes. Um, I definitely want to see some records being broken. I think that's always the biggest draw of the Olympics is seeing those records getting smashed. Um, if Hussein Bolt can beat his previous record, I think that would be great, a great achievement. I'm going to volunteer here in beach volleyball. I'm a physiotherapist, but so I'm going to help at the, the players in the, in the field of game. For me, it's an experience. Not just with uh, for my job. That to me is uh, amazing to be here and can help the all of the players in the game in everything. It's just a dream. So we actually got tickets for some volleyball games. So that'll be really fun. And just uh, we want to go to the Christ Redentor too, uh, the statue. And just yeah, it's a beautiful city and a lot of cool people. So we're really excited to meet people and. Hang out. Yeah, and we're also doing uh, ministry. We're Christian missionaries. And so we're here to just kind of be here, spread the word if, if need be. And, uh, yeah, just do whatever the Lord wants us to do. Oh, wow, how exciting. That's Tom Ellis in Rio de Janeiro together with Andy Belos. So the women's football tournament began on Wednesday. The two African teams there are the lowest ranked of the 12 nations taking part. And Zimbabwe were beaten 6-1 by Germany in their opening game. But uh, we're very proud here of how Zimbabwe's mighty warriors did, considering that they are ranked number 93 in the world and Germany are the world number two side. It was 3-1 with 15 minutes to go and even managing to score was quite some achievement for Zimbabwe. Well, that game took place in the city of Sao Paulo, and before that, the competition opened in Rio with two games. South Africa doing well, but losing 1-0 to Sweden, conceding only in the 75th minute. And after that, the hosts, Brazil, beat China 3-0. Well, Norman Briley is part of our team in Rio. He spoke to fans who watched the two games, and many of them felt that South Africa were not that impressive. I think both teams didn't play well. They both, uh, compared to Brazil especially, they looked, they just looked tired and it just wasn't a great performance from either team. 10-10. Ten, 10 ten. Ten for Sweden, 10 for South Africa. Just wanted to see goals. <laughs> and uh, who do you think will go furthest out of these four we've seen today? Well, uh, Brazil and Sweden, probably. Very good. I loved every single minute of it. This last game was perfect for us, for Brazilians. For, for us Brazilians, we are uh, living a very hard time right now, so the Olympic Games came to, to bring and some happy to us. Do you expect Brazil to go far in this tournament? Yeah, we truly expect it.
That's Norman Briley talking to sports fans who were at the Olympic Stadium to watch South Africa losing 1-0 to Sweden and Brazil beating China 3-0 in a doubleheader on the opening day of the women's football. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can follow us on Twitter, at Planet Sport FA. And on Twitter and on Facebook, our team in Rio will be posting photos and news from the Olympic Games. So the Twitter handle, at Planet Sport FA, and the Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. Lots of content from the Olympics to be found there on Twitter and on Facebook. Now, on Facebook and on WhatsApp last week, we asked, what can we expect from the African teams in the Olympic football competitions? Will there be a repeat of the gold medals won in the men's competition by Nigeria in 1996 and by Cameroon in 2000? Well, in the men's tournament, the three teams are Nigeria, South Africa and Algeria, with Zimbabwe and South Africa representing the continent in the women's tournament. Obina in Nigeria says a repeat of the heroism of the Nigerian dream team in Atlanta of 1996 and that of Cameroon in 2000 is very unlikely, but in football anything can happen. Obina says no one is a write-off these days and the Algerians might just do a Leicester City. Dawad Sin Chelsea Cisse in the Gambia agrees. He says surely Algeria will make Africa proud and surprise the world. Barnabas Ande is in Nigeria. He says, I would have loved my darling dream team Nigeria to add a second gold medal, but my true bet will be on Algeria. They've got some really exciting young talents in there, and my guess is for a Brazil-Algeria men's final. Malik Gai in the Gambia says, I've got great hope that Nigeria and Algeria will both reach the semi-finals and that one of them will reach the final and bring home the men's gold medal. Ibrima Tamba also in the Gambia says, there are a lot of young, talented African players whose aim is not only to play at the Olympics but to win the gold medal. Watch out for Nigeria in the final, says Ebrima. They are fully prepared to challenge any obstacle ahead of them. From Sierra Leone, Alan M.J. Campbell says, In the men's competition, the quality of the players and teams from Africa are not the same compared to those of the past. They have deteriorated drastically, says Alan. Their best possible position will be the quarterfinals, or Algeria maybe might reach the semis. In the female category, they will face the worst if they're not careful. I don't think either Zimbabwe or South Africa will make it to the knockout stage. Hamat Jobe in the Gambia offers an interesting perspective. He says uh, this time the expectations are high on the African teams. Nigeria has a formidable youth side that dominated the world in the youth category and I'm expecting them to win the gold medal, says Hamat. South Africa too have a very good side, he says, and they played fantastic football during the under-23 Africa Cup of Nations. And in the women's competition, the two teams representing Africa also have good sides. I'm hoping they will give a respectable performance by either reaching the semis or the final. However, not everyone is quite so optimistic. Wizzy White in the Gambia says, I don't think Africa will win the gold medals again. We don't have that quality of player anymore like it was during the time of Okocha, Samson Siasia, Kanu, Sunday Olise, Samuel Eto and many more. And Mohammed, also in the Gambia, agrees. He says, I don't think that Africa will do it because there are much stronger teams like Brazil compared to those African sides. And finally, Albert Kadzombe in Malawi says they can repeat history if they have prepared well. I wish all the African teams all the best. Make us proud. 
Thanks, Albert. Let's hope there will be some good news. And uh, thanks to everybody who got in touch. Always great to hear from you. And uh, this week on Facebook and on WhatsApp, uh, tell us who will win the 2016-2017 English Premier League title. Uh, the new season starts on the 13th of August, just a week away. And a lot has happened in the off-season with Jose Mourinho taking over at Manchester United and Pep Guardiola making numerous signings at his new club, Manchester City. So who do you think will be the new champions this time? Can Leicester continue to surprise us? Will Chelsea be a factor? And what about Arsenal? Give us your thoughts. Uh, send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. We'll go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. So it's just a week to go then to the start of the English Premier League season, and on Sunday Leicester play Man United in the Community Shield. Uh, this where the league champions meet the FA Cup winners. As always, there's been lots of activity on the transfer market in the off-season, and Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard joins me from the UK to look at some of the top African transfers in England and beyond. And the two biggest in England, Adrian, are Nigeria's Ahmed Musa joining Leicester from CSKA Moscow in Russia, and Senegal's Sadio Mane moving from Liverpool to Southampton. So, what can we expect from these two? Well, Steve, I think there's a very interesting contrast between the two players straight away, as Ahmed Musa will be playing in the Premier League for the first time. Now, Sadio Mane, of course, has been in the Premier League for two seasons already with Southampton, so I'd expect him to settle into his new club much quicker, as he already knows the pace of the English game, and I think that's quite significant. So then, let's have a look at Ahmed Musa. He spent, as you say, the last four and a half years at CSKA Moscow where he built a solid reputation as a speedy, tricky winger. He's got a great goal-to-games ratio as he hits the back of the net once every three games. That's amazing. So altogether, he scored 42 times for CSKA in 125 matches. But the question, Steve, is can he repeat that in the English game? <laughs> I very much doubt it. He'll certainly make an impression, and clearly Leicester see him forging a strong and effective partnership with Jamie Vardy and especially if we believe the rumours that Riyad Mahrez may be on his way out of the club. And the other thing, of course, that Musa brings is Champions League experience, unlike uh, any of his new colleagues at Leicester. So let's then have a look at Sadio Mane. Interestingly, he brings a very similar goal-scoring record to Liverpool. Uh, in two years at Southampton, he scored 21 goals in 67 matches. Again, almost one in three. In recent seasons, Liverpool have, have struggled to find a consistent goal scorer, and that's what they hope Mane will provide. Remember, Christian Benteke came from Aston Villa with big hopes, but frankly, he's been a huge disappointment. But if Sadio Mane can continue his Southampton form at Liverpool, the club will heave a huge sigh of relief, and the cop will be able to celebrate a new goal-scoring hero. Now, of the two, Steve, I think Ahmed Musa can produce the most surprises at his new club, he hasn't played in English football before, and so the English teams won't be so aware of his skills and trickery in the same way that they know Sadio Mane. But if you were to ask me which player will score the most goals this season, well, I'll go for the Senegal international Sadio Mane. Yes, it should be an exciting season ahead for Sadio Mane. And Ahmed Moussa making a big impact as Leicester lost 4-2 to Barcelona in the International Champions Cup in Sweden. But two goals there for Ahmed Moussa. So that's a good sign for the Nigerian. 
Now, another eye-catching transfer was the Ivory Coast great Colo Toure joining Scottish giant Celtic. Uh, the defender has worked with Celtic manager Brendan Rodgers at Liverpool. But at, at 35 years old, Adrian, what role will Colo Toure have at Celtic, do you think? Well, as you say, Steve, uh, Celtic manager Brendan Rodgers has worked before with Colo Toure at Liverpool. So he knows all about the qualities that the 35-year-old Toure brings But there, I think, lies the problem. Toure is 35, and uh, as a defender, even losing just a little of his pace, he could easily be ripped to shreds by a speedy winger he comes up against. But what Rodgers got when he signed Toure was a defender with proven abilities and over 17 years' experience in professional football. Now, remember that Toure started his career with the Ivorian side Asec Mimosas in 1999, and he joins the Scottish champions after spending the last 14 years with three of the Premier League's top clubs, Arsenal, Manchester City and Liverpool. And that's quite apart from his 118 international appearances for Ivory Coast. Over the last few weeks, Celtic have been without several of their key central defenders through injury for their Champions League qualifying matches. Now, this meant a quick promotion for one of their 20-year-old reserves, Owen O'Connell. Now, Brendan Rodgers will be hoping that Toure will not only fill the gap when other defenders are injured or out through suspension, but that his experience will help Celtic on the pitch and help to develop new young defenders like Owen O'Connell coming up through the club. So Colo Toure will certainly have a lot of uh, experience to pass on to others at Celtic. Now, there's an interesting move involving an Egyptian. That's Ramadan Sobi. He's 19 years old only, and he moves from eight-time African champions Al Atli to Stoke City, who did well to finish ninth last season. Well, Egyptians haven't got a great record in the English Premier League. There's the temperamental Mido, who had a pretty good spell at Tottenham 10 years ago, but um, looks like an unusual move, uh, this one, for Ramadan Sobi. You know what, Steve? I think this is a great move for Sobby. Let me tell you why. Stoke are a comfortable mid-table side, so any player joining Stoke is unlikely to feel the same weight of expectation that they would if, for example, they joined a team like Liverpool or Arsenal, whose fans demand success the whole time. Or indeed, a team at the other end of the table, perhaps like Hull or Middlesbrough, who many think will spend the whole season battling against relegation. So for a young 19-year-old player like Sobby, I think it's a great opportunity to develop his game and play alongside some of the seasoned internationals that they have at Stoke, like Austria's Marco Ornatovic and the Swiss Zerdan Shakiri. The other factor I think which is important here is Stoke City's supporters. Now, like all teams, they want their team to win, but most of all, they like to see their players putting in the effort. Now, last season, Marko Arnautovic became a firm favourite when he was often seen helping out his defence as well as knocking in goals at the other end. And although the fans are passionate at Stoke, they are unlikely to take that passion to the same level, perhaps, as the Al-Akhli faithful when they lose to one of their hated rivals. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, so those are some of the Africans who are on the move, but uh, there are a few notable cases of players who are not moving. And a chief among them is the 2015 African Footballer of the Year, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. The Gabon striker has decided to remain in Germany with Borussia Dortmund, although it did seem as though clubs such as Arsenal were after him. Yeah, that's an interesting one, Steve. Albert Mayang clearly feels he's settled in Dortmund for the time being. 
Now, Manchester City also made overtures, and the new City boss, Pep Guardiola, is known to be a fan of the 27-year-old striker. So he may yet make a move, but for now, he is still with Dortmund, and that will delight their fans. Now, another player staying put, Steve, is Max Gradell at Bournemouth. And frankly, I'm not really surprised. The Ivorians hardly set the Vitality Stadium alight since he joined from the French side Saint-Étienne in 2015. Now, it's true he, he did spend six months out last season with a cruciate ligament injury, and he only returned to action in February of this year. But since then, he's only scored once. That was in a 3-2 win over Swansea. And I can't really see him starting many games for the Cherries this season. Perhaps he'll have more of an impact coming off the bench. Uh, and one player who is likely to start games for his club is Jordan Ayew at Aston Villa. Now, the Ghanaian international was Villa's top scorer last season with seven goals as Villa were relegated to the championship. The new Villa boss, Roberto Di Matteo, was delighted to confirm that as there was no release clause in Ayew's contract, the 24-year-old striker would be staying at Villa Park. Now, I think after a season of disappointment and, in fact, despair for many of the Villa fans, that's some good news for them at last. So Aston Villa relegated to the Championship and action starts this weekend in the second tier Championship. Uh, now, away from the African transfers, the big clubs have been very busy as usual, uh, especially Manchester United and also N'Golo Kante has moved from Leicester to Chelsea. How significant is that move, Adrian? Well, Steve, in one word, very. Let's put this into context. The French international won the league title with Leicester last season. True, Chelsea were the champions the season before, but last season, by their own very high standards, it was a complete disaster. They finished in 10th place behind teams like Southampton, West Ham and Stoke. So, after winning a title winner's medal, N'Golo Kante, he's going to miss out on Champions League football this season. So, the 25-year-old clearly believes he's got a better long-term future with Chelsea than with Leicester. It's a calculated gamble, as they all are, of course, and we won't know if it's paid off until the season ends next May. And uh, former Chelsea boss, of course, Jose Mourinho, now at Manchester United. He's been busy in the transfer market as well. And Zlatan Ibrahimovic was uh, out of contract at PSG last season, joined Manchester United. And uh, he's already been exciting fans in the pre-season friendlies. He scored a goal with a, an impressive bicycle kick in one of their pre-season friendlies. So uh, he's made a good start and, and I think the fans are going to like him. So is this Manchester United season? Well, we'll be uh, going more in depth, uh, previewing what we can expect uh, in terms of the big clubs in England on next week's show. Um, and finally, Adrian, it's not looking good for Yaya Toure at Manchester City with the new manager Pep Guardiola making some big signings and also during pre-season saying that Toure was overweight and uh, that he wasn't fit enough to train with the first team. <laughs> You know, Steve, I find this really interesting. It's been well documented, of course, that Toure and Guardiola had their disagreements when they were both in Spain at Barcelona. Now, add to that to the fact that last season, Toure didn't have the same impact as he'd had in previous seasons for City. And it all seemed to point to the Ivorian leaving the Etihad as soon as the new boss Guardiola arrived. So what I find interesting then isn't the fact that he may be leaving the club, but the fact that he hasn't gone already. <laughs> Toure's just returned with City from a tour of China, and if you believe his Twitter feed, he's really enjoying training, excited to be playing with the, the new players, and raring to go for the new season. So maybe he still does have a role at Manchester City. 
Well, that will be something of a surprise if it does work out for Yaya Toure at Manchester City under Pep Guardiola. And we've got a big preview of the new English Premier League season on next week's show. Well, finally, for this week, we continue our series looking at the life of former FIFA president Sepp Blatter, who was suspended by FIFA last year amid corruption allegations. Blatter became FIFA president in 1998, and during his 17-year reign, there was a huge growth in football. Well, Stuart has put together a profile of Blatter based on a recent biography of him, which Stuart says is informative, but it does focus almost entirely on Blatter's side of the story. Here's the fourth part of Stuart's profile as he looks at Blatter's relationship with Africa. Sepp Blatter arguably did more for the development of football in Africa than any other man. In saying that, we cannot duck the question of whether he did that honestly and what his motivation was. Blatter joined FIFA in 1975, one year after the 74 World Cup in Germany, at which Zahir, as DR Congo was called at that time, was the only African country participating. In 1982, Africa got a second place, and in 1994, a third place. There are, of course, now five places for Africa. But Blatter was really the first to argue for greater representation of Africa, saying, it's simply out of proportion. It simply cannot be that African federations and clubs, which supply European clubs with so many players and such talent and contribute to the attraction of the top leagues, and at the same time, they are treated with contempt with regard to the World Cup. By refusing the African continent its true value, you punish international football and with it the public, and we simply cannot allow such a known goal to be scored. Passionate words indeed. Right from the start, Blatter argued that FIFA needed to have a development program to help spread football across the world. And in 1976, one year after joining FIFA, he went to Addis Ababa in Ethiopia to launch the development program. His first impression was, the Africans were suspicious of me and expected me to want to impose European rules, even impose European football on them. They certainly wanted no European leader. But when the first development project was underway in Africa, Blatter said, I felt enormous satisfaction I saw the first small results of all my efforts and realized what we could achieve. Development was underway and it gave me added strength. From that point, I wanted to contribute and develop something. Sunday Olise, former Nigerian national coach, said, Sepp Blatter did what was best for Africa. The development of football on our continent is due in large measure to his involvement. When I first met Blatter in Mali in 2000, I was impressed with a man who could speak five languages, was highly intelligent, and had such great social skills. It is sad how negatively he is judged in Europe. When you see how much good he has done during 50 years at FIFA, the balance sheet is very positive. Africans know what he's done for them. We will return to that issue of why he's so popular in Africa and viewed negatively in Europe in a future talk. Heinz Morozzi, the German trainer who worked in Ghana and Nigeria, 
said that Blatter was simply the first to recognize the potential of football in Asia and Africa, adding that the success was due to Blatter's open communication, that he was full of humor and that he engaged well with people. Blatter himself said, I always saw myself as president of Africa and Asia. The Goal Project was launched in 1999 and of the first 700 projects funded, 200 were in Africa. The Football for Health Project, Football for Hope and more recently 11 against Ebola. From the time Blatter first met Nelson Mandela, he was determined to take the World Cup to Africa, something which he achieved in 2010. Well, thanks very much to Stuart Weir and what great times the 2010 FIFA World Cup in South Africa were. In the next part of the profile of Sepp Blatter, Stuart looks at his downfall. Well, that's it for this week's show, but on Facebook and on WhatsApp, do tell us who do you think will win the 2016-2017 English Premier League season? Will it be Chelsea, Manchester United, Leicester, Manchester City? What about Arsenal? Give us your thoughts. Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. We'll go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Stuart Weir, Adrian Barnard and the whole team in Rio de Janeiro at the Olympics, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a Passion for Sport production.